Well, if you are watching at home, I hope you have your Bibles with you, and I would encourage you to open up to Galatians chapter 1. We are going to continue through our sermon series through the book of Galatians. Whether together or apart, we are just going to keep working through this book, and I believe it's going to bless us and edify us if you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. I did some research this week, and I was looking up who some of the most influential people in, in all of history are, at least according to experts who, who tried to uh, determine that. And I was, I was really saddened to see that the Apostle Paul did not show up in very many of these lists. Uh, Jesus was number one on all of them. But it is my opinion that the Apostle Paul is one of the most influential human beings in all of human history. I believe that the Apostle Paul is certainly one of the most influential human beings in all of Western culture. Uh, he, he, he simply changed the world, and that's not to say the other apostles didn't, but the Apostle Paul was monumental in changing the Gentile world, in changing the course of Western Christianity and of Christianity around the world all together. The Apostle Paul was monumental in the Christian faith. And people recognize that, which is why during his own lifetime, during his own ministry, he was persecuted beyond belief, right? The Apostle Paul was the subject of extreme criticism and persecution throughout his ministry. And as we discussed last week, that is uh, the context that actually begins Paul on this long autobiographical section in the book of Galatians. Our sermon text this morning is going to be very long. We're going to read from chap- from, uh, in chapter 1 from verse 11 all the way through verse 24. And we're going to do that because this is, Paul is going to break off into autobiography. And what Paul is doing in this section is he's essentially reminding people of his testimony, of who he was and what happened to him and what he did. He's reminding people of his own testimony. And we talked about how we have to sort of reverse engineer this. We have to understand why do we think Paul is doing this? Well, most likely, once you read through, I think this will become clear. What is likely happening is that the false teachers, the false teachers in the Galatian churches are attacking Paul's authority. They know that their message is inconsistent with Paul's. And they probably know the people in the churches recognize that their message is inconsistent with Paul's. And so they're attacking Paul's authority. And we're going to work backward through this. I think my assumptions will be um, validated. But I think their, their attack sounded something like this. Why would you listen to Paul? He was a latecomer and merely a student of the apostles. Their claim is that what we're teaching, what we're teaching about the gospel, that's what's consistent with Peter and James and Matthew and all of the other apostles. You see, they were apostles before Paul was even a Christian. They were leading churches and teaching churches before Paul even got saved. And so the argument against Paul is that Paul is merely a latecomer. He's merely a student of the apostles. We know he spent some time in Jerusalem under the apostles, sitting under their teaching, and now he's tried to take his own show on the road. Now Paul has gone rogue. And so they are trying to attack whether Paul truly has his own apostolic authority or whether he is merely just another apostolic learner like the rest of us. 
And so what Paul is going to do in 11 through 24... I'll I'll give our three points now, but then we will work through them slowly, is he's going to defend his apostolic ministry with three primary points. The first point is Paul is going to make clear that he was not taught by the apostles. Paul is going to make it clear that he did not receive his message from the apostles. The other apostles are not the ones who instructed him in the Christian faith. He did not learn from them. He was not a student of the apostles. The second thing we're going to see is that Paul was not commissioned by the apostles. It was not the apostles who made Paul a light to the Gentiles. It was not the apostles who told Paul to go out and preach and plant churches. That was not their, part of their authority. That's not what they did. The apostles did not teach Paul. The apostles did not commission Paul. And then the third point is Paul's going to say, nonetheless, his message was still consistent with theirs. So just to summarize those before we look to the text, Paul was not taught by the apostles, Paul was not commissioned by the apostles, and Paul taught the same message as the apostles. So let's read our text, and then we will go through and find those three points in it. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, I would encourage you to read along, for these are the very words of God. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from, man, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, that doesn't even end Paul's autobiographical section. We're going to see when we get into chapter 2, he's going to continue this. But this makes up a large portion of his autobiographical section. As a matter of fact, his dedication to proving his own authority is one-fifth of this entire book. So it's very important that Paul take a moment before even addressing the true heir of the Judaizers' false gospel, the false teachers, we call them the Judaizers, and I'll explain that as we continue through the book. But first and foremost, he's going to establish his own authority. He's going to remind the the Galatians in these churches that they need to be listening to him. And so as I gave us our three points, let's go back and look at those. The first point, as Paul uses to establish his own apostolic ministry, his own apostolic authority, is that he was not taught by the apostles. He was not merely a student of the apostles. He makes that very clear right at the beginning. Look at verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that this gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So Paul makes it crystal clear right from the get-go that the gospel that I've preached to you, the gospel which we saw in previous sermons the Galatians are now trying to turn from, this gospel, Paul says two things about it. Number one, it's not man's gospel at all. It didn't originate with man. It's directly from God. So Paul is reminding them that if you disagree with my gospel and you follow these new teachers, you're not just disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God. Because this was God's gospel. This is what God revealed. This was not merely man's gospel. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that the gospel that he preached was not the conclusion of philosophers. In the Greco-Roman world, the, the, the religion that, that predominated the Gentile world uh, was largely a, a, a tradition and religion that was over time influenced by Greek philosophy. And we have these giants of Western civilization like Plato and Aristotle, these philosophers who, who, who created entire schools of philosophy that permeated the Gentile world. And so much of the Gentile religion was man's religion. It was brilliant men philosophizing, as we call it nowadays, and, and, and applying logic and thinking about the world and, and concluding religious truths about the world. It was man's wisdom. It was man's message. It was the conclusions of men, of philosophers and theologians. But Paul is saying the gospel I preached to you was not like that. This is not the deductive reasoning of brilliant theologians. This is not the deductive reasoning of philosophers. This is something I received directly from God himself. This is not the conclusions of men. It was direct divine revelation. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man. As a matter of fact, keep your marker here. And turn to 2 Peter. Turn to 2 Peter because Peter says something extremely similar to this when, when Peter's talking about his own message. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 16. This is Peter's testimony about his gospel message, which we're going to see in this sermon was not different from Paul's. Verse 16, Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So if you look at 16, 17, 18 of First Peter, or forgive me, of Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is saying something extremely similar to Paul, right? Peter says that the message that I proclaim to you is not cleverly devised myths. This is not religious folklore. This is not mere tradition that has been passed down. This is not Aristotle and Plato thinking about the world. But Peter's saying, we were eyewitnesses to Jesus' glory. He's talking about the transfiguration when the three apostles were taken. Well, they weren't apostles then. But when the three were taken to the mountain and they saw the glory of Christ that was veiled in his incarnation. They saw his glory. Moses and Elijah miraculously appeared. And God the Father spoke from heaven confirming the message of Jesus. So Peter is saying, again, this was not, this was not uh, cleverly devised myths. This wasn't philosophy. This wasn't the theology. 
This was merely God speaking to us and seeing it with our own eyes and hearing it with our own ears. Peter is saying, we did not hand to you the traditions of men. We did not hand to you religious mythology. We handed to you what we directly heard from God. And so if you go back to Galatians, this is exactly the claim that Paul is making. Paul is saying again, verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, the gospel preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul has reminded us yet again that this is God's gospel and that he was not taught it. He didn't receive it. The apostles didn't sit Paul down and say, okay, here's the gospel. Philosophers didn't sit Paul down and say, okay, here's the gospel. Paul didn't just sit in a room somewhere and think really hard and determine this. He received it directly from God. And, and this is also important because what Paul has done here, by, by, Paul knows that they know his testimony, right? So Paul is referring, in verse 12, he's referring to his Damascus road conversion, right? Remember, Paul is on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, and he has this miraculous visitation from Christ, this vision of Christ. It blinds him, it converts him, the glory of Christ, all of that. So they know the story. Paul's bringing it up. And so here's what Paul is really doing in this. He is establishing his authority in a very subtle way because he's essentially putting himself on the same level as so many other religious authorities for these people. For example, we just talked about Peter. When Peter establishes his authority, what does he appeal to? He appeals to the transfiguration. He says, listen, I was there. I saw the glory of Christ. I heard the voice of God. But it doesn't just begin with Peter. Uh, think about Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, the famous vision, right? Uh, there's, we have that famous quotation from Isaiah where the Lord says, Who shall I send? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. Well, what's the context of that? Isaiah was being commissioned to be a prophet, and that happened because he had a miraculous vision where he was ascended to heaven and he was speaking with God face to face. So Isaiah, why should we listen to Isaiah? Because he saw God and he spoke to God and he was commissioned by God. Why should we listen to Peter? Because he saw God, he heard God, he was commissioned by God. You can read Ezekiel chapter 1, same thing happened with Ezekiel. Read Moses' life, the same thing with Moses. So Paul has put himself on the same level as Moses, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Peter. Moses, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Peter Paul has put himself on that level. I apologize. It looks like we're having some internet connectivity issues, um, but the audio will be available. So, the first point, yet again, that I want us to get back to. Paul clearly establishes that the apostles did not teach him this gospel. He learned it directly from Christ. And he continues in that train of thought. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism... How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So Paul reminds them of his life as a Pharisee. He reminds them if he was, he was, he had, he had a promising career in Judaism, right? He was doing really well. But the power of the gospel knocked him off course. 
God, by his grace, revealed Jesus Christ to Paul in a unique and miraculous way. So Paul shelved his promising career in Judaism. And then he says that he turned now to preach to the Gentiles. Now, who called him to preach to the Gentiles? Whose idea was that? Was it Peter's idea? Was it some philosopher's idea? No, it was Jesus who set him apart to be a light to the Gentiles. And that's why Paul says at the end of 16, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So again, Paul has made this claim very, very powerfully, reminding them, I am nobody's student. I'm not a student of the apostles. I am not a student of of, of Greco-Roman philosophy or even of Jewish tradition. But Jesus Christ taught me this gospel. I learned it from no one but Jesus himself. And then this brings us to our next, right? He did not go up and consult anyone. And this brings us to our next point, which is that not only did Paul not learn the gospel from anyone, Paul was not commissioned by anyone, not even the apostles. Because he says in verse 16 that God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So that was God's idea. I did not immediately consult with anyone, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So what Paul makes clear is that he, after his conversion, he immediately begins apostolic ministry. He immediately begins ministry. So obviously it was not the apostles who sent Paul into Arabia. It was not the apostles who sent him back to Damascus. Paul's point is that I started preaching and I started planning churches. I started doing apostolic work before I ever even met the apostles. After, I, after his conversion, I did not consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. And that's why this brings up another important point. I, I don't know where it comes from, but I have heard very often. I, I used to believe it because it's a really powerful story. Um, but I don't think it's true, that Paul's Arabian exile, right? We're going to see in verse 18 that he was there for three years. It's oftentimes portrayed as if Paul was completely exiled and he was just kind of like, kind of like John the Baptist, just living in the wilderness and, and receiving teachings from God. Um, but I think the context of this makes clear that that's really not what happened. Paul began ministry work, right? He, he did not um, practice social distancing, Right? He didn't go off into a cave and, and just learn from Christ for three years. Uh, well, I've heard that story a lot, but I don't think that's true. I think Paul's point is that I went directly into Arabia for ministry work. I was an apostle in Arabia before the other apostles even knew who I was. I think that's the stronger point of his argument. And that's why he says in verse 18, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So again, Paul's saying, how, how can you accuse me of merely being a disciple of the apostles or a messenger of the apostles when I was ministering in the Gentile world for three years before I ever even met them? I never consulted with them. I never met with them. I never learned from them. I immediately, I learned from Christ. I was commissioned by Christ and I started my work. And for three years, I labored without the apostles. So Paul is making clear, the apostles did not teach me anything. And the apostles did not commission me. Now what he's likely going to begin addressing in verse 18 is he, he, he knows that the people in Galatia knows he did spend some time with the apostles. 
these people must have knowledge that he was in Jerusalem for some time. So he addresses that. He addresses that and he puts to death these rumors, these slanders of what was taking place there. You cannot say Paul went to Jerusalem in order to be taught by the apostles and then commissioned by the apostles. Because he was commissioned and sent and learned the gospel before he did this for three years. So Paul's point is that, okay, yeah, so I did eventually go up to Jerusalem and speak with some of the apostles. But I was, I was ministering for three years before that happened. And now let's even look at the extent of his visit there. He says in verse 18, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which was the Aramaic word for Peter. He's talking about Peter. I went to visit Peter, and I remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. So he's now doubling down. He's, he's further proving his, his claims that not only did I not see the apostles for three years when I was already commissioned in preaching, but when I did see them, I only saw one of them, and I saw a second one for a little bit. I didn't even meet with all of them. Right? Paul says he spent two weeks with Peter, and he happened to see James sometime during that, and he didn't see the rest of the apostles. So does it sound like Paul was this, this, this student of the apostles that he sat at their feet and he listened and he learned from them and then he took their message and distorted it sometime? No. He said, I barely even met with them. I spent two weeks with Peter. I saw James Lord's brother a few times. But his purpose in Jerusalem was not to sit under the apostles and have them teach him a new religion. He went up there after three years. And he only spent time with really one of them. So I hope we've made the first two points clear. Paul is establishing his authority by saying, listen, I, I did not learn this from anybody. I'm not a student. I'm not a pupil. Jesus directly gave me this gospel and the resurrected Christ commissioned me. And that's why you should trust Paul as being an equal apostle with the others. He had the same miraculous learning of the gospel. He had the same commission from Christ. He is not under the apostles. He is equals with them. He was commissioned by the same resurrected Christ. He was taught by the same resurrected Christ. So Paul needs to be considered an equal authority with the rest of the apostles. But he makes our third point crystal clear as he ends this section of chapter 1. He continues on this autobiographical story saying this, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So again, Paul's saying, listen, I was not one of these Christian disciples. They didn't even know who I was. They were just hearing about me. But I think there's a stronger point to be made in this section. What has Paul subtly also done now? He's established he did not learn from the apostles. The apostles did not teach him. The apostles did not commission him. But it's important to know, though, he, what he is saying here is that his message is not inconsistent with the apostles. His message is not inconsistent with the rest of the churches. He met with Peter and then continued on his ministry. Peter didn't rebuke him. Peter didn't say, whoa, 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 Paul, that's not what we heard from Jesus. Where are you getting this from? Right? Peter is in agreement with Paul. And here's the best part. Look at what the early church who's hearing of Paul, do they embrace him? 
Did the early church embrace Paul? Did the believers in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Syria and Cilicia, did all these believers, did they embrace Paul or did they consider him this false apostle? No, they embraced him. Verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching a contrary faith, a distorted faith. No, the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. So here's what Paul is doing to the Galatians. He's reminding them, I'm in equal authority with the apostles. And he's also reminding them, by the way, my gospel, the one that you're departing from, this is the gospel that all of the churches in Judea all accepted and glorified God for. This is the same faith that I once persecuted, and Peter and James agreed with me. So if you're going to be against Paul's gospel, you're going to be against all the believers in Judea, all the believers outside of that region, and you're going to be against James and Peter as well. He's put himself in good company. And he's reminded them that, no, even though the apostles are not my mentors, they're not my teachers, my message is consistent with theirs. They accepted me. They embraced me. So just to summarize, here are three important points. Here's what Paul is trying to communicate in this long autobiographical section. The first thing he's communicating is that he was not taught by the apostles. He was taught by Jesus. The second thing he's communicating is he was not commissioned by the apostles or any other man or group. He was commissioned by Jesus. And then the third thing he's communicating is that the message of his commission was the same as the apostles. It was the same message. It was the message that the early church believed. It was the very message he once persecuted. So Paul is not the one who has strayed from the faith the Galatians have. Paul still stands on the side of the apostles and the early church witness. So in conclusion, our conclusion and our application is also kind of serving as our thesis, if you will, or our main idea. You know, you're probably thinking, okay, yeah, I get it, right? Paul's important. Paul's an apostle. I never doubted that. I already believed that. I'm not a false teacher in Galatia. You know, I, what does this have to do with me? Well, here's our takeaway. Here's our application and kind of our main idea of the sermon. Believe and obey Paul. Believe and obey Paul. This is what Paul's trying to communicate. If I could summarize this long section, it's simply this. Paul is worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of your mind. You ought to trust Paul's message and you ought to obey his commands. Believe and obey Paul. And here's why I think that this is so important. Because this might sound like I'm saying something really obvious. If you're a Christian watching, if you're part of a Christian community, you, you maybe already know this. But I want to warn you. There are lots of people in our society today who claim to be Christians, but are doing the exact same thing that the false teachers in Galatia are doing. They are trying to get you to doubt Paul. This is what I call what has oftentimes been known as red-letterism. They don't go by that title. They don't call themselves red-letterists. But you will see that. You will see that all throughout our culture. And it sounds something like this. Yeah, I know, I know the Bible technically says that. I know Paul technically says that. But where does Jesus say that? Where does Jesus say anything about that? So what have they done? When you hear someone make that claim, what have they done? They have pitted Paul against Jesus. They've said, okay, Paul might have taught and believed that, but who am I really interested in believing? Jesus. 
So what's Paul's point? You realize that I was sent by Jesus. You realize the message I'm preaching is the one I learned from Jesus. But you will find people today who claim to be Christians who will try to tear Paul's authority down. And this is because Paul has written so much of the New Testament that most of the New Testament doctrines we don't want to believe come from Paul. And so anytime Paul says something that people don't want to believe, they will start playing the same game that was happening in Galatia. So Paul tells us that uh, the authority in the local church belongs only to men, that women are not to be pastors, that women are to remain silent, they are to remain submissive, and only men can be pastors. And what does our culture do? That's offensive. I don't like that. So, so what do we do with that? Well, you see, Paul was just merely caught up in his culture. He lived in a patriarchal culture, and he, he apparently wasn't smart enough to know the difference between divine revelation and just Greco-Roman patriarchal culture. So I'm not going to obey Paul when he says that women shouldn't be pastors. I'm going to ask the question, where did Jesus ever address this? And Jesus doesn't say anything about women pastors not being allowed to do that. That's someone who is attacking Paul's authority. When Paul writes extensively in Romans chapter 1 or in 1 Corinthians that, that homosexuality is sinful and it's a perversion and it's not right and God judges it. And we say, that's offensive. You see, Paul was caught up in his culture. Where did Jesus ever say anything about homosexuality? Where did Jesus ever say anything about gay marriage? You see, do not be fooled. There are people in our culture who live under the umbrella of Christianity who will try to steer you away from the Apostle Paul's authority. What was happening in Galatia happens today. And so the message we take away from this is you need to believe and know that the Apostle Paul was teaching a message in accordance with the other apostles and in accordance with Jesus Christ. To listen to Paul is to listen to Jesus. If you reject Paul, you're rejecting Christ. I heard one pastor make a joke like this. When somebody says something like, well, where did Jesus ever address that? Where did Jesus ever address that? He says, oh, you see, here's the thing. My Bible is a special Bible because all of the words of Christ are printed in red and all of the words of the Holy Spirit are printed in black. What we're trying to remember here is that Jesus' words recorded in Scripture do not hold heavier weight than Paul or Peter's because the Holy Spirit wrote them. It's the same God inspiring both. As a matter of fact, turn back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Turn back to the verse that we looked at. 2 Peter chapter 1. We already read in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 19 or 16 through 18, where Peter discusses um, having an eyewitness testimony to the gospel that he preached. But notice what he goes on to say, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the dawn and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." So, does Isaiah's words have less authority than Jesus's? No, because they're both divine. Does Paul's words have less authority than Jesus? No, 
because they're both divine. As a matter of fact, if we wanted to be really technical about this whole, well, what did Jesus say about this thing movement? If you want to be really technical, Jesus didn't say anything. When you read through the Gospels and you read what some Bibles print as red letter, you're not reading Jesus' words technically. You're reading what Matthew remembers of Jesus' words many years later. You're reading Luke's words. You're reading John's words. So to even claim that Jesus' red letters have the most authority in your life is to refute yourself because what you're actually saying is Matthew has more authority than Paul. But Matthew isn't Jesus either. So essentially what, what people are doing is they're, they're asserting the inerrancy and sufficiency and authority of the Bible when it comes to the Gospels, but not when it comes to the epistles or the prophets. And it's absurdity. The, the takeaway from this message, you could even boil it down to this, believe all of your Bible, the prophets and the apostles. The red letters are not the only inspired portion of your Bible. That's essentially what Paul is saying. Paul in Galatians chapter 1 is reminding the Galatian people that I'm on the same level as Peter. I'm on the same level as Isaiah. I am an apostle. I have been commissioned by Christ. I am the one who was sent here to tell you about Jesus' religion. He told the Galatian churches they need to listen to him. And so it is my job as the preacher of this text to take it and to tell you, you need to listen to Paul. You need to listen to Peter. You need to listen to James. You need to listen to John. We need to believe our Bibles, believe our New Testaments. We need to listen and obey the Apostle Paul. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the Apostle Paul, for the persecution he endured. We are thankful for all that he went through. He was stoned, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was attacked by superficial leaders, he was rejected by even some of his own people. And yet, you persevered him. You gave him the grace and the strength that he needed. And likewise, that brings our attention to Christ as we remember he too was rejected by his own people. He too was hated on in the world. And yet, he is our shining example that you will persevere us when we are faithful and obedient to you. So help us to have an admiration for the men that you have commissioned to preach your word, to teach us your religion. May we be Christians who faithfully obey our Bibles, even though sometimes our Bibles take us to places we don't want to go. May we trust the apostles and the prophets more than our own desires, more than our own thoughts. May we remember that what the prophets and apostles taught was not cleverly devised myths. They were not the religions of men, but they were direct revelations from you. Help us to believe you by believing our Bibles. We love you and we thank you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.